0: Welcome to Gibraltar Stories. It was a year ago that I began gathering material for my new podcast project which was to become Gibraltar Stories. An online acquaintance of mine was coming over to speak at the 2018 Gibraltar Literary Festival and he agreed to talk to me for my first Gibraltar Stories interview. That person who very generously gave of his time between multiple speaking engagements was actor, playwright, podcaster and crime writer Robert Dawes. You can hear our chat in episode number four. That interview was the kickstart I needed to get going on this new podcasting adventure. And 12 months later, I was back at the 7th Gibranco, Gibraltar International Literary Festival two weeks ago. What an experience it was. Around 40 events featuring writers, poets, journalists, politicians, academics and chefs spread out over four days and several locations in Gibraltar. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be sharing with you some of the atmosphere and some of the diverse topics which were covered this year. Here's just a flavour of this year's festival as I experienced it, condensed down into just over three minutes. Uh,
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the 7th Duval International Literary Festival.
2: Well, it gives me great pleasure as a journalist to introduce someone I have admired for many, many years a journalist, a television
3: presenter, and an author, uh, Gavin who from 2002 to 2014. Thank you, uh, for that um, you. lovely introduction.
2: Um, and it's very, very good to be here, my first visit to Gibraltar. So I'm here to talk. The distinguished welcome. guests, ladies and gentlemen, a very good morning to you as we start this second day of the 7th Gibraltar, Gibraltar International Literary Festival, and very welcome to this year's Gibraltar Lecture. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome to
3: this magnificent setting at the Convent Ballroom.
2: I don't really need to introduce Clive Femerson, but he is the director of the Gibraltar National Museum and director of the Gorham's Cave Complex of Caves uh, and the UNESCO World Heritage Site. I can't believe it was 2016 actually when that happened. It's yeah. incredible when you think about it. We uh, lived it very closely because I was on the Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Javanco Gibraltar International <laughs> Literary Festival now, and its second day of events. Well, we're here to welcome
4: Ursula Ducan, the Sikrist writer. Many of you might know her work on uh, gardening and social history. She's the author, in fact, of 18 books.
5: You
2: I am not going to do the really interruptions to in this talk. I'm going to let the Minister for Heritage and Culture, John Burtis, take over. And since I know he likes to take over, I'm also going to allow him to do the question and answer session at the end. <laughs> <laughs> he can share that with you as well, John. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. Larry, yeah, it's a real
1: pleasure to be here after a bit of a journey. Absolutely. Um, uh, no Larry for for many years. Your Excellency.
2: Ministers, my lords, ladies and gentlemen, a very good afternoon to you as we come to the close of the third day of this seventh Jabanka Gibraltar International Literary Festival. And welcome to the conference. So this afternoon we're going to meet Lord Patton. I've been looking after him, a gentleman that rarely needs an introduction because he's been here a couple of times before, but we have former BBC correspondent. Nick was going to be-
5: uh, Chris Patton, Lord
3: Patton of Barnes, um, has done so many jobs, actually, it's very difficult to know where to start. Um, he was a conservative MP for Bath.
1: He- the book has received excellent reviews in publications such as The Observer, The Times, Times Literary Supplement, The New York Journal of Books, The National and Noly Planet. It also received a personal recommendation from King Mohammed VI of Morocco. So, Richard is now going to introduce his book, Tangier, from the Rhodes, the Rhodes Stones.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> a very good honor to you, and welcome to the Gadsden Library. They say we should end these things on a high note, and we're certainly going to do that today.
0: So that was a quick jaunt through some of the talks I attended on a whole host of subjects. First of all, I thought I'd begin this short series of podcasts with a look at the local authors who were featured at this year's event. Gibraltar has a thriving literary scene with a deep interest in local history and fiction. Some plays and books by local writers are even being studied at schools and universities overseas. At this year's festival, the local writers I heard speak were all looking at the incredibly rich history Gibraltar enjoys, from the Neanderthals right through to the closure of the frontier 50 years ago. On day one, it was the turn of historians Tito Kennedy and Richard Garcia to give a presentation on the 25th anniversary of the Gibraltar Heritage Journal. Each edition of the journal contains a selection of essays and articles featuring the history of Gibraltar. It may be family history, architecture or the history of local businesses and institutions. The latest edition includes an essay on the Gibraltar Gas Company, the impact of World War I on Gibraltar and an account of a crash landing at Gibraltar Airport during the Battle of Britain celebrations in 1957. As Tito Benedy began, it all came about as a means to raise money to renovate one of Gibraltar's iconic buildings.
5: The journal was started by chance and without any in view at the beginning except to raise money to assist the trust. It was started by the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage Society in
0: London. Tito was the journal's creator and first editor. Over the years, he's been heavily involved alongside other editors until Richard Garcia took over last year. He explained the reason for its inception.
1: The very first journal was not in fact produced by the Heritage Trust, but by the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage in the UK. And it was a fundraising venture in order to raise money to try and uh, restore the City Hall uh, to its former glory.
0: Looking back over 25 years, you mentioned how many hundreds of different articles were written. What would you say um, were your particular personal favourites?
1: It's very difficult uh, to identify any particular favourites because you have a favourite uh, recollection of a family story or a favourite uh, history of Gibraltar element so there are a number of articles which are really, really top class the latest journals my favourite article there perhaps, well there are two there's one on the Gibraltar gas company how that started up and how it finished and another one is uh, the history of the Gill family, which is quite fascinating because this is a family in Gibraltar over many generations, and what they did and how they achieved what they did is really really interesting. So. It's difficult to identify just any particular uh, article.
0: And this is effectively, as you said, an encyclopedia of Gibraltar. How important do you believe it is that, uh, that this record of, of social and, um, well, generally the history of Gibraltar was recorded in this way?
1: Absolutely vital, because a lot of what's recorded is what you might call ephemeral history. And therefore, if it's not written down... It is lost when the people who have it in their collective memory pass on.
0: So this is a crucial record of Gibraltar?
1: Very much so, because I I think the the community of Gibraltar would be the poorer if the journal had not recorded so much of the stories that it holds.
0: Now, I heard you appealing to the younger generation to get involved... How important is it that uh, the journal continues and, and builds on the success of the past 25 years?
1: Well, heritage is what you pass on to the next generation. So if the next generation isn't there to pick it up and, and run with it and then pass it on in turn, then we're in dire straits.
2: Gorham's cave and the other evidence from around the world has played a major part in the way of thinking. How it has de- developed and how it has actually changed <laughs> over the years. He is essentially a birdman, at least that's what he would tell him and as an ornithologist who discovered a new passion with some birds' help when he actually went to down to Goran's Cave with his wife, Geraldine, who was then his girlfriend,
0: and they went down
2: to, to that area where Cave to ring the birds of Craig Martins uh, back in the 1970s. But now, with their help, is actually trying to change the image and perception of the Neanderthals, exposing us to a new way of thinking. But in essence... He has brought the birds into the Neanderthal story. Really, that's effectively what, what he's
0: done. If you've listened to Gibraltar's stories from the beginning, you may remember in episode one I spoke to Dr Geraldine Finlayson about the first Gibraltarians, the Neanderthals, who lived here long ago. Geraldine's husband, Professor Clive Finlayson, spoke at the festival about his latest book about the Neanderthals, in which he's challenging the long-held view that these early people were stupid, simple creatures. The smart Neanderthal was based on research carried out here in Gibraltar, and was initially met with scepticism in academic circles – After his talk, I asked him if he thought he was making progress in getting his theory accepted.
3: Gradually, we are making headway. If I look at um, the loan stance that we had maybe 15, 20 years ago, and now there are many more people coming round to the idea of... Of who these Neanderthals were. They're not the ape like brutes. But there is still some resistance. That's why I said in, in the, one of the questions that I still think it'll take a generation to completely overturn it, even though a lot of, particularly the younger scientists, uh, are certainly understanding this and, and supporting our views with their own research. Um, but it's funny, you know, um, the anthrop- French anthropologist Marcelin Brûlet, I think it was in 1907, created this image of a brutish looking ape. Figure and it, it stayed on, you know, 100 years on. It's, it's so difficult to debunk once that gets ingrained into people's minds.
0: Well, it's in popular culture everywhere, in cartoons and everything. So, I guess people grow up with it, we're taught it at schools. So, you're kind of plowing a lonely furrow a little bit at the moment.
3: Yeah, because not only are you challenging it at the level of science. It, it, it cascades into into, into daily life, and, and it's very difficult. You know, people. You still hear people in conversation cracking jokes at the You know, in the end, you know, like somebody who's dumb or whatever, and you, you laugh and you smile. And fine, I don't take issue with that. I understand it for what it is. But really, that that is what it's become. You know, and, and it's it's funny how we can generate these and then not not question them. You know, and the evidence is overwhelming now, in my in my view, to show that there were people like like you and me.
0: You also mentioned that uh, a finger bone had been found in a cave in Siberia, mm. and this was a different species. It wasn't yeah. modern man, it wasn't the Neanderthal. Is what we know so far just a tiny tip of the iceberg?
3: I, entirely. This is in a cave called Denisova in Siberia, and we now have a complete genome for this uh, species, if you want to call it. I don't know what you would call it, but we don't know what they looked like. Um, and there are other cases where we're finding a strange... <laughs> sequences of DNA that we cannot account for. (laughs) So what this is showing is that the old picture of modern human versus Neanderthal is too simple, that there were many populations of humans around the world, um, and that we we have to be much more humble in our interpretation and understanding of what's been going on.
0: How important is Gibraltar and what we have here within Gorham and Vanguard's cave in, in the scheme of things in, and in our future understanding of our relationship to the Neanderthals and to them themselves?
3: It's vital. Two, two fields are uh, opening this world up. One is the field of genetics, and the other one is the field of understanding the behaviour of these people. For the behaviour of these people, there's nothing to match the caves we have in Gibraltar. They're fantastic, they're unique in the world. Um, I know I'm passionate about it, but believe me, there is nothing like it on this planet.
0: Why do you think this rich seam of uh, archaeology hasn't been um, excavated until, until you and uh, your team came along?
3: Well, I suppose some work was done in the 50s, but then the whole idea of Neanderthals was very different then. And then it was only in the late 80s that people started exploring and that some of these ideas started to... To regain momentum, people started to question. And it's, it's after that we realized, look, we've got these caves. When we started, we knew we had important caves, but we didn't really know how important they were until now. And I think there are many more surprises to come. I mean, we're excavating an area of Vanguard Cave at the back, uh, and we've decided to carry on excavating all winter because there's a passageway, and we thought it's just going to be a dead end, and we don't see the end of it. So for all we know, there's another cave hidden behind that one. Imagine. Wow. And that's going to be a bit like uh the discovery, I feel, because we know that what's sealing it is 50,000 years old. We've dated it. So whatever's behind is older and hasn't seen the light of day in 50,000 years. If that's not exciting... That's
0: absolutely riveting. It's like the stuff of movies, isn't
3: it? <laughs> absolutely. This is, this is the wonderful thing. You just don't know. Uh, I try and go down most of the time, but sometimes I've got a team down there And I get some excited calls sometimes, uh, you know, what's it going to be next? Two years ago, we found this tooth, milk tooth of a young Neanderthal, right at the top. We were in this particular area. We didn't expect it there because there was no, it was a very small part of the cave, the roof of the cave, a very small area that the Neanderthals, we knew were not living there. But we knew hyenas were denning there. We find the tooth and we suspect the hyena probably dragged the child in, either alive or dead, and, and ate it. So... Is there any more of that?
0: Mm, Absolutely fascinating. And even
3: things that are not necessarily that tangible. Uh, We work with geochemists, for example. And one of the things we looked at was the campfires of the Neanderthals. And we did a chemical analysis. And we published this two years ago. And we published this as the first evidence in the world of human pollution. Because what we showed, by looking at the chemical composition of the fires and the area around the fires, that the Neanderthals on a small scale, by making those fires, were polluting... The environment of the cave with heavy metals. So it's not necessarily a fossil. Sometimes with the technology now, even little things like that can, can open up a new world.
0: Um, just one final question. At the beginning of the talk, Alice mentioned about the fact that your book had been published in Japan. This is obviously something so important that, that's travelled all around the
3: world. It is indeed. This was the Humans Who Went Extinct, which was... Uh, Also translated into other languages, and what I can tell you is, the smart Neanderthal, the new one, is going to appear in the early in the new year in Spanish. It's translated already into Spanish, which obviously doesn't just go for the Spanish market, but the whole of Latin America. So again, this is good because it means that the word is is getting out there.
0: On the final day of the festival, there were two talks given by Gibraltarian writers. Playwright and teacher Julian Felice spoke about his work, which has been performed here in Gibraltar, as well as at a number of schools and universities in the United States. He doesn't feature in this episode, but I hope to be bringing you an episode with Julian in the new year. Also speaking on Sunday was Sam Benedy and Sarah Devincenzi. Their new book, A Pictorial History of Gibraltar, covers the story of Gibraltar from when the continent of Europe was first formed up until the closure of the frontier gates by General Franco in 1969. It's a beautifully presented book which should appeal to adults as well as children and gives a great overview of Gibraltar's history as well as suggested sources for further research. It was the brainchild of Sam Benedict many years ago, and was a long time in the making.
5: i had been thinking about it and even written a bit about it uh, twenty-five years ago. Uh, I did speak to one or two people who who seemed interested in in, in illustrating it, but it never came to anything. And I sort of shelved it for years and years. And then and then I, my daughter said, "Why don't you ask Sarah?" I said, oh, yeah. she, who, "Who? What? was <laughs> I knew Sarah, actually, but but, uh, uh, I didn't know that she was such a talented uh, artist. And that's where we we set off, really, on the journey.
0: And how long was it from you getting together to actually getting here
5: today? I think think it was probably three years. It was
0: more, yeah,
4: almost exactly three years, I think. Just, well, it could actually be a little bit over because yeah. we, I remember we met in June and we published it this September, so yeah. just over three years. And we yeah. kept
5: thinking, oh, it'll take us a year. We'll do it for, by next Christmas, and one Christmas pass and another. Yeah,
4: and summers, I say <laughs> Sam I'll be finished by the end of the summer and then, of course, it didn't happen.
5: So <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it wasn't the writing. I mean, the writing, the basic writing, I did right away. And I still got the, you know, about four or five pages of script, which... Sarah sort of brilliantly turned into, into, a, into a
0: book yeah. Yeah. what was it that, that made you want to actually cover a historical um, book in, in this well, way with, with well, there,
5: there is no uh, <laughs> short history of Gibraltar since Dorothy Ellicott did one in the 1970s I think uh, there are many histories of Gibraltar and some of them are frankly awful they just, they, they just use the mistakes other people have made and repeat them rather than doing any research. Uh, even, 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 the you know, everybody thinks very highly of William Jackson's one. Well, he was all right for the time when, for the present. sort of, But in the old stuff, he just used old material, some of which was possibly not very reliable. So I thought there ought to be a history which was simple, which was attractive for people to read, even people who didn't like history. That includes children, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but certainly not just children, um, and uh, I, I I wanted something that would be was, would, was, would entertain as well as instruct, and I think we we got the balance about right I think.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I I kind of came in on it's it was Sam's project and i I was actually you know just there to do the the illustrations, but I think you know having three kids, I know that my kids. The boys, especially, learnt to read using Tintin comics, oh. Asterix. They loved horrible histories, and I think for adults and kids, you things sink in a bit better when you see a visual image, and to make it funny and fun, that it adds another element to it as well. So I think um... and,
5: and Tintin and, and Asterix were really, very really much my inspiration. I was impressed by. Our children liked it, and our adults liked it. Well, this adult, anyhow, liked it, and mm. I think others do, too. Uh, so, so there was something that could appeal to both. And uh, with things like asterisks, it's a bit difficult, because some of the jokes are going to go over children's heads, but uh, and only appeal to adults. But uh, I think we avoided that, there too. I don't think we I said think so. did anything. We said wrote anything that an intelligent child of eight upwards can't understand
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I guess in this day and age when everybody no matter what their age has a, a relatively short attention span it would seem perhaps this is the medium to, to turn people on to, to history
5: yeah, so that, uh, I suppose if we made a video game of the history uh, of Gibraltar <laughs> we'd be even more <laughs> successful
0: there, there we say. go, the siege, yes, the yes, twelve yeah, sieges could work your way that's through an
5: idea. It. <laughs>
0: and how did the process work between the two of you and, and you know writing the words and then and then coming up with the pictures
5: well the the, the words were written in one go sort of really though we did add things and remove things afterwards and and the and the pictures were gra- gradually filled the pages and the words sometimes were changed to 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 mm-hmm. go with the pictures but you know as I, as I showed you in 1994 Oh, wow. There's the first that's, page. Um, that's the first draft. draft. <laughs> well, the very first draft, the first page, when Sarah, when Sarah was still wearing uh, safety pins instead of... Not quite. Uh. Not quite, not
0: quite. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a historical document. It <laughs> is, yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> and, and to prove it is on the back of an, an old letter, a copy of an old letter written in 1994. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. so it's
4: been in the pipeline a long time, in Sam's head. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was using Amstrad then. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you can't get more primitive than that, can you?
0: I noticed in the talk that you drew attention, or, or it was drawn attention to the fact that uh, you both star within the pages of the book, There's yeah, the, yeah, in, yeah. within the illustrations. Yeah. So that, so, that's a lovely it's idea. Fair, it's a very,
5: idea. It, as I say, it started off with a rock ape asking the questions or answering them. And as I say, we, we crept up the evolutionary tree and put me in it, and then we crept her even further and put Sarah in it. <laughs>
4: I just thought, as it was Sam's voice, it would be nice yes. to have him. And I just it was a bit of fun want, at the want, beginning want, and, and, dressing and you, him you up. See, in and you see, you see, we're
5: on the cover. Absolutely, down at the bottom, yeah, holding yeah. your your,
0: your yeah. names are yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on the cover. So yeah, um, <laughs> and you snuck a few extra people in as well. You my children, to, or, my
4: husband, my dog, yeah, and my two cats are <laughs> oh yeah, are in there. I try and identify. Yeah, them. you've got to find. Oh, yeah.
5: Where's Wally? Where's
4: Wally?
0: Where's
5: Lloyd? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and is this yeah. the first of, of, of more collaborations, do you think?
5: Well, if we think of something else, Yeah, we right. need yes. to think of a good I mean, idea. I, I'm up for it, but, yeah, you, but yeah. we've got to think of something that will really go. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it took me 25 years to work this one out, <laughs> so I haven't gotten our 25 years. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you never know, you never know. I mean, it <laughs> needs to be quicker this time.
0: And that brings this first episode about the 2019 Jabunko Gibraltar International Literary Festival to a close. Still to come, I'll be sharing some of the chats I had with a few of the visiting writers on subjects as diverse as feminism, John Buchan, Tangier, the mecca for explorers and creatives just across the strait from here, our furry friends who live up the rock, and a fictional plan to build a new housing estate on a cantilevered shelf off the east side of the rock. If you'd like to find out more about the annual Gibraltar International Literary Festival, you can find a link to their website in the show notes for this episode. I'll also include links to the Gibraltar Heritage Trust and the Gibraltar Museum, who stock the books written by our local writers. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to this episode and for taking an interest in Gibraltar's stories. If you enjoyed the podcast and could find the time to leave a review on your chosen podcast provider or share it on social media, I'd be extremely grateful as it'll help other people find the podcast more easily in future. You can listen back to any of the previous episodes on GibraltarStories.com, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. And if you have a Gibraltar story that you'd like to share... Please get in touch with me through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or through the Gibraltar Stories website. Gibraltar Stories is presented, produced and edited by me, Lindsay Weston. Until next time, goodbye for now, and thank you very much for listening.